0: Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Roots One podcast. Um, In the opening episode, I'm going to be talking about the 1988 FA Cup final and sort of why why was it the greatest FA Cup final upset ever and a bit of context around the two teams, how they were getting on, how they both reached the final and then finally how the final panned out. Um, To start off with, uh, we've got to give credit to, to how good liverpool actually were at the time. Uh, they they won the, they won the domestic league by 9 points, finish on a on a total of 90. uh at the time they were working under like a player manager Kenny Dalglish, which was probably the first time and one of the only times that a, a truly great side functioned well under a player manager. So um shows that the group of players and the talent that they had was 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 special they only lost twice in the entire season once to everton and once to nottingham forest which were both big sides at the time they didn't lose their first game which is the game against everton until the 30th week of the season which is just astonishing if that were to happen now it would would be uh absolutely incredible talked about for years and years uh so you could tell by the form that um they did take a slight dip towards the end of the season once they kind of knew that the title was wrapped up. In the end, they only finished about nine points above uh, Manchester United in second, which is nothing to be sniffed at. But given the way that they started, it could have easily been more. Um, and that Man United side, were, were they, they aren't the, the prime Man United that you'd think of, think about now, but they were still a strong, strong side with players like I don't know uh, Brian McClare would have been there, Norman Whiteside, Gordon Strachan, and Brian Robson. Uh, they probably would have brought in Jesper Olsen and and Steve Bruce around that time as well. So to finish nine points ahead of that team uh, shows well. It puts into context how good they actually were. Um, it would have at the time it was uh, Peter Beardsley and John Barnes' first season, who they'd both signed from uh, Newcastle and Watford. And in their first season at Liverpool, they both got into the, to the team of the season, as well as um, a few other Liverpool players like Alan Hansen, um, Steve McMahon would have got in as well, and then possibly uh, John Aldridge. Um, and in the season prior, they'd have lost Ian Rush, which adds to you know how, how great they must have been, because obviously he was a, a huge player for Liverpool in the years previously. So to lose him to Juventus and to keep this this incredible team playing the great football that they did um, is props to people like Kenny Dalglish and the leaders like Alan Hansen, who kept them going. Now, of course, we can talk about that uh, incredible Liverpool side for absolutely ages if we wanted to. But um, I feel like it'd probably get quite boring just saying all the different times that they smashed these teams. They only failed to score twice in the entire season, which shows... Well, the sort of attacking, attacking powers they had. I mean, John Aldridge was on incredible form almost the entire season, uh, easily the top goalscorer of the season. But um, on the other hand, the more interesting story is probably the Wimbledon, the Wimbledon side. Um, it was Bobby Gould's first season in 1987 after taking over from Dave Bassett, uh, who got them to sixth place the previous season. Uh, which was actually their first season in the top flight after being promoted from Division 2 the season before that in 1985-86. Um, but da- uh, following on from Dave Bassett was big shoes to fill because he don't, he was very well liked around, around the camp and just by people in general. The only reason why he left is because the chairman put something in his contract which essentially meant the chairman could overrule Bassett on, on certain decisions he would make and uh Bassett, but he just didn't he didn't want that. So he left and they appointed Bobby Gold. And given where they'd finished the previous season, there was a lot of pressure on Bobby Gold because um to to come up and finish sixth is, is a big it's a big achievement, which showed that uh, they did have quality players so if Bobby Gould came in and perhaps didn't perform as well, that that's going to reflect pretty awfully on him. Um I'd say Bobby Gould, this was his best stint in management. Just just winning this FA Cup um is an incredible an, an incredible achievement, which not many managers can can say they've done. So for him to do it with Wimbledon, um obviously proved that he was. He was good enough for the job. But coming into it perhaps Um, people had a few doubts as Dave Bassett was so Um, well-liked. Within the domestic season, they ended up finishing seventh, which obviously very respectable, especially for a club like Wimbledon. Not to say that they are, uh, they aren't worthy of finishing seventh, but I mean, they didn't have incredible fans in terms of numbers. They had a fairly small stadium. Their their history wasn't uh, out of this world like a team like Liverpool. So, uh, a seventh place is is a good finish for them. Um, if uh, European competitions were to have been on for English clubs, which they weren't obviously because of the Heysel Stadium disaster and the ban that followed, um, they could have got into Europe in a couple of those seasons. So I'm sure they may feel a bit hard done by, by that, given that they they were worthy of going into European competition. They just simply weren't allowed to because of the ban. Um, Now we're going to look at some of the players that they had inside the squad and why they were labelled the crazy gang, because there are certainly some interesting characters and um, how they all came together is pretty interesting and how they worked uh, together to eventually win an FA Cup, the most prestigious cup competition domestically in the entire world. It's, uh, It's pretty fascinating. I think a good place to start um, a player who kind of embodies what Wimbledon were all about at the time, uh, he represents them well. Is uh, John Fashionu. Uh, he, he really suited the system well. He was a very interesting character. Um, if you if you watch any of his interviews, he doesn't show a lot of remorse for any of the for the rough challenges he put in on players or any you know flying elbows etc. Uh, which which were part of his game. He was an intimidating he was an intimidation factor up front. He would uh, he would have to scare scare the defenders essentially into uh, letting him play football um he wasn't the most technically gifted but he could certainly score goals I mean they wouldn't have got to where they got to if he wasn't able to to consistently score uh he, he, he easily got into the double figures in quite a few seasons at Wimbledon from what uh, from what I've, I've looked at um I think he's also more interesting because the relationship he had with his older brother, um, Justin Fashioner, who was also a footballer a bit before his time. Um, a brilliant player, uh, arguably more talented than him, which uh, obviously led to a bit of a, a, a dynamic there. But the story behind that is 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 equally as interesting as he is. Um, obviously, he, he, he was also well known for playing a couple of games for England and looking like a bit of a donkey. Uh, did that show that he just suited his Wimbledon system well? Possibly. He went on to other clubs. He did. He he did well at teams like Lincoln before he joined um before he joined Wimbledon, but this was also probably his best stint at at, at club level. Um, I think the case with a lot of these players, by maybe Dennis Wise, was this was their best. This was their peak, and whether that's down to the system that they played or whether the fortunate ages that they all came together, um. A lot of these players were in the peak of their powers, which all added up to them being able to beat this Liverpool side and um, eventually win an FA Cup. Um, As well as John Fashion, another controversial character, Vinnie Jones. uh, He he, he had two stints at Wimbledon. This was during his first one, the FA Cup one. Then he moved on to Leeds um, and then Chelsea. And then he would have returned to Wimbledon. Uh, there may have been a couple of other clubs in between that time period. I'm not entirely sure. Um, oh, and he would have played for Sheffield Wednesday as well. Sorry, Sheffield United. Um, whether you can see a bit of a pattern there, um, Wimbledon, Leeds, Sheffield United, I'll leave that up to you. They're all quite uh, intimidating sides with uh, reputations of of just being tough to play, tough to beat, quite strong, aggressive sides. Um, and that, that, that defines him fairly well. Um, in 1997, he was arrested on um, charges of uh, bodily harm and criminal damage um, against a against neighbour and then 2003, an airport assault, where um, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but it seems like he got a bit aggressive at an airport, essentially. Um, whether you want to read into that um, and, and decide how he is as a person, uh, that's up to you but um I feel like it kind of uh oh paints a good picture as the type of player he was I mean as well as John Fashionou he definitely added that um that intimidation factor you wouldn't want to go into a game and 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 play against Vinny Jones or play against John Fashionou because you know you're gonna get um kicked up in the air essentially um obviously he had a few famous moments he did that Absolutely wild sliding challenge on Eric Cantona when he flew about halfway across the pitch. If that was anyone other than Eric Cantona, they're probably in absolute pieces. But um, of course, we all know who Eric Cantona is, and that's not the type of type of reaction you'd see out of him. Uh, there was also the uh, the incident with Paul Gascoigne when he grabbed his balls on his debut. Uh, that's just the type of player Vinnie Jones was, uh, and and um, Vinnie Jones and Paul Gascoigne. Have a good relationship off the pitch, but um, Vinny Jones was just that competitive that he felt the need on Paul Gascoigne's debut as a professional footballer to grab to grab him by the balls and essentially show him, show, show him, show boss. Um, he there was no there was no lower gears for Vinny Jones. He would always go in hundred percent, um, essentially needing the win, and that definitely influenced on other players inside of this Wimb- uh, in the Wimbledon team. And essentially, anywhere he went, that winning mentality, win at all costs, certainly helped them out when uh, when coming up against the Liverpool uh, Liverpool side where they were not favourites by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone would have put their money on on Liverpool to win this FA Cup, and I'm sure characters like Vinnie Jones would have kept that belief going in the dressing room, and and would have told the players that they that they were capable of of winning this FA Cup that they'd got to the final for a reason um, on exactly the same merits as Liverpool. And they were going into it on a level playing field and that they were completely capable of winning. And obviously it came out as true. Um, They also had players like Dennis Wise, another player who was able to antagonise opponents. He was a little man. He He was about five foot six. At the time at Wimbledon, he would have played on the wing. It was tricky. He put in good free kicks. He actually got the assist in the final for the only goal. But um, being a little, a little man, you'd think, oh, he's a bit, he's harmless. He's just going to do a couple of of silky dribbles and then that that'll be him. But he he always put in a few niggling challenges. He, the fact that he was small meant he could be like nippy, like a little terrier. Uh, certainly got under, got on, got on the nerves of opponents. And um, and then Laurie Sanchez, Mick Hartford, uh, players like that, all add to the to the crazy gang dynamic, which made them extremely difficult to play. Now, hopefully, those uh, those two overviews have given you a good picture as to what the two sides were like at the time and the reputations they had, and um, I guess how how everyone as football fans would think of them. Um, now I'm going to go into the cup runs that got them to the final. Um, and then you can decide, you know, whether whether one whether one run was easier than the other. Why perhaps Liverpool were favoured? Obviously they had the far better side, but w- would the run suggest that to the final? How uh, whether they got lucky at all? Uh, they both entered at the third round. Um, this was played around January, so this was when Liverpool were still unbeaten in the league, um, and they played in their in their opening round uh, mid-table second division Stoke, and. They were actually taken to a replay, and they only won the replay one nil, which which was slightly shaky for such a good Liverpool side. But they didn't concede a goal in either of the two games. Perhaps they were just struggling up front for for ideas. You never know with teams like Stoke when they uh when they when they're lower down in the league and they're just sitting back trying to catch them on the break, especially in a cup game. That's uh that's that's the way they're going to be playing. Um, on the other hand. Uh, Wimbledon played West Brom at Plough Lane and won 4-1. Uh, it was a convincing win, but West Brom, were, they wouldn't have been a first division side at the time. They would have they would have been in, in, in second or third division, I'd imagine. Um, so a 4-1 win, pretty convincing. So they both moved on to the fourth round where Liverpool drew um, second tier Villa and Wimbledon drew the third tier Mansfield. Where they only came away from Mansfield with a two-one win, um, not the most convincing result. Of obviously, being only two-one, you'd expect them as FA Cup eventual winners to be beating the third-tier sides by a bit more, bit more of a margin. But if you're winning games two-one and getting through, you, you can't you can't complain. Uh, I couldn't find any footage of the match, so I, co- I can't comment on whether that was a late consolation. Or whether it was as tight as the sorts the scoreline may suggest, I'm not too sure. But at the end of the day, they got through and they got the result. Uh, Liverpool as well got a, got a result against second tier Villa, a two nil win. Uh, seemingly a pretty basic, a pretty basic run so far for both teams to get through to the uh to the fifth round, where Liverpool were drawn in an uh, in a Merseyside derby versus Everton, which which um. Of course, was going to be a huge game, not only with the rivalry, but with Everton being easily one of the top five best sides in the country at the time. That that was also that was going to be a huge game, as well as Wimbledon, who uh, who drew Newcastle. They would have been a top half first division team at, at, at the time as well. They had just lost Peter Beardsley, who was um, the main focus of of their side, but they would have, at the time, I believe, had Paul Gascoigne. I'm not entirely sure on that one. But either way, it, it, it's it's another difficult draw for Wimbledon. So this fifth round looks looks pretty interesting for both teams. Um, in the Liverpool game, it was it was a fairly it, as you'd expect. It was a fairly tight one, um, but at the end, Liverpool pulled through with a one nil win. Uh, John John Barnes played uh, one of his uh, classic crosses in from the left hand side, and Ray Halton just put a header into the into the top left, which sent them through to the quarter finals um obviously that that's the first um result where you think okay Liverpool are, are seriously going to be going for the cup as well as the league because at this point obviously the double was still on and was looking very promising at this point um and then Wimbledon came away from the Newcastle tie with a with a solid three-1 win doesn't look like they were tested too much by by Newcastle to be honest which is a shock because they're, they're quite a problematic side, especially at the time. But, I mean, Wimbledon clearly did very well to come away with a 3-1 win. And perhaps at this point, when when Wimbledon have reached the quarterfinals without any real troubles, you're thinking maybe maybe they can get quite far in this competition. Now, of course, in the quarterfinal, where things are starting to to heat up a bit, you're starting to see how the how the tournament's going to shape out. You can almost predict the semi-final draws, um, in a way. Liverpool were drawn in the quarter-final against second-tier Manchester City. So, uh, arguably quite a lucky draw. Obviously, no game in the FA Cup is going to be an easy one, but it turns out that Liverpool did run away pretty convincing winners with a 4-0 win um, with four different scorers, uh, a Peter Beardsley pen- penalty, as well as uh, Ray Houghton, Johnston and, and, and John Barnes scoring the fourth. So that put them fairly comfortably into the semi-finals, bar the Everton result, which was always going to be a tough, a tough draw. And Wimbledon got Watford uh, in that season. Uh, Graham Taylor had just left Watford, so without their their messiah as manager, who just left for, for Aston Villa, um, they were they were having a pre- pretty poor season. In the end, they got relegated, obviously after losing John Barnes. One of the best players in the country and one of the best managers in the country. You can't you can't expect too much from from a fairly average Watford side at that point. Um, so that put them both into the semi-finals, as well as Luton Town and Nottingham Forest. Um, whoever was to draw Nottingham Forest would be seen as getting the more difficult draw. Seeing as um, Nottingham Forest was still an extremely strong side under under Brian Clough, one of the best managers English football has ever seen, really. And um, a a Leuton team who were quite a classic cup team, really. They were in the first division and they had a good side, uh, certainly capable of putting even teams like Liverpool under pressure, um, giving them a really, really strong game, which eventually they did when they drew Wimbledon. Um, It was played at White Hart Lane, obviously on neutral ground. But this, uh, this semi-final was shaping up to be quite an interesting one. You know, two fairly similar-sized clubs doing similarly well in the table, um, arguably overachie- overachieving in a bit given the stature of the club. They aren't as big as teams like Liverpool, Nottingham Forest, Everton, Tottenham, uh, teams like that. So, for either team to reach the FA Cup final would be absolutely massive for them. So, there was a lot of pressure on the game. Um, and uh, all fans just, just watching for pure entertainment, uh, rooting for either team, really, because to, to to see teams like this go on to an FA Cup final, that's that's what you want to be seeing in, in a competition like this, where essentially anything can happen. Um, it was a good game. Uh, Luton took the lead um, with a, a, a goal from Harford, which was from a, a, a ball-booted long and uh, the the striker just got a quick flick on ahead of the Wimbledon defender and that slotted a uh, half a throw on goal where he just, he, he calmly finished and put put Luton 1-0 up. Um, John Fashion, who wasn't on top form in the game, he missed a few chances, um, so made it a bit more difficult for Wimbledon than it possibly needed to be. But um, he, he scored he scored the equalising penalty, which was one off a corner where the keeper just misjudged it a bit, went to claim the ball and and ended up taking out the legs of uh out of uh, of the win the Wimbledon player, winning them the penalty. Um, so at that stage it was uh, it was one one, and the game was was fairly open. And um, the ball was put in from the right um, into the Luton into the Luton penalty area, and um, Dennis Wise just got a tiny little touch on it from the left, making a little darting run, which which he tended to do quite a lot, sneaking in at the back post. And he just taps it on, uh, taps it into the goal to make it 2-1. And uh, obviously giving Wimbledon the lead, which they held out and uh, and got to the FA Cup final with. And then on the other hand, we have the other semi-final between Liverpool and Forest. Uh, this one played at Hillsborough. Um, obviously Liverpool coming into it, being the slight favourites given where they are in the league and the plays that they have. And um, they went into the game... Doing their usual thing, vintage Liverpool performance, really. Um, John Barnes causing all sorts of problems down the left hand side. Uh within 13 minutes wins wins a penalty for Liverpool, which John Aldridge does what you'd expect and and, and puts it in the right hand corner, scoring and putting them one nil ahead and definitely in the driving seat if they weren't already, given the football they play. And um the Forest managed to hold on. Um, keep it to one 0 until the, the until the second half because um, Steve Sutton made some very impressive saves within the first half. From um, there was there was a there was a chance from Spackman which could easily easily have been a goal, but he made a brilliant save. Same from Peter Beardsley who had a shot from around eighteen yards and it was flying right into the top left hand corner, but uh, Sutton managed to just, just get a hand to it and tip it wide. Uh, which was a brilliant save. But um, in in the second half, Liverpool came straight out the gates yet again. And um, John Barnes making the trademark run down the left-hand side, crossed it into uh, to John Aldridge where he just gets a beautiful, beautiful volley onto it, smashing it into the top left-hand corner. Nothing the keeper can do, nothing that the defenders can really do given uh, John Barnes' pace and just uh, the, the runs from, from John Aldridge, which you can't really... You can't track in, in a scenario like that. So, um, at that point, it's 2-0 to Liverpool and not not many teams can, can turn that around. Um, Forest probably still thought they had a chance, but um, you, you definitely put your money on Liverpool keeping, keeping uh, ahead for the rest of the game, which eventually they did, despite a, a late Nigel Clough consolation goal. Um, he had a few chances within the game, but only managed to convert the one. So the game finished two uh, one, which meant the final was going to be between the crazy gang and the Culture Club. Uh, leading to the to the to the phrase from John Motson, which he, uh, he he famously said at the end of the game, once uh, Wimbledon came out came out on top. Um, I hope that's given a good summary of. How each team got to the final, and um, now we're going to look at the actual final, how that how that played out, and um, whether Wimbledon were the worthy winners. So after those two entertaining semi-finals, the stage was set for the uh, for one of the greatest FA Cup finals we'll we'll ever see. Probably um, there was definitely a sense of opt- uh, optimism around it. Um, inside of the stadium, fans in general, uh, fans of either side uh, felt that not much could go wrong. Um, Liverpool had already won the domestic league very comfortably and um, sh- showed themselves uh, well to pretty much everyone. Um, so to lose to a team like Wimbledon, whilst obviously it's not a nice feeling to lose an FA Cup final, it's it wouldn't have been the end of the world because... Um, it would be a brilliant story um, for Wimbledon to go on and win their first ever FA Cup final. Um, And then obviously for the Wimbledon fans, uh, the possibility of winning is just, would have been out of this world. But at the same time, they still achieved a hell of a lot by getting to that stage in the, in the competition. So in their case, not a lot could go wrong, which, definitely created a feeling of positivity. Um you'll see it at the end when um when when Liverpool do go on to lose the the Liverpool fans are still chanting singing you'll never walk alone almost in celebration of the occasion and um knowing full well that they were part of English football history and one of the greatest moments that we'll ever see in the in such a historic competition. Um so the game kicked off. It was Set in 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 the middle of May, it would have been pretty sunny. Um, ninety eight thousand fans, all inside of Wembley, um, and they were they were ready to see a classic game of football. Um, Wimbledon started off the game well, offering uh the the, the threats that you'd expect, so off free kicks, corners, John Fashanu offering that um hold up style player who could also turn equally as well and just strike a beautiful, any form of shot, really, um, that could pass any goalkeeper. Um, so, they, they had their threats. And then, classic Liverpool, they had John Barnes on one side. Ray Houghton always offered um, a, a bit of danger, even if he wasn't the focal point of the attack. Um, and that was seen in, in the first opportunity of the game, really, where Peter Beardsley... Um, drove the ball forward and played it out wide to Ray Houghton, who took it f- towards the byline and then did a, a sneaky cutback in between uh, in between the defender's legs. And uh, Aldrin, Aldridge had uh, a fairly tame shot along the floor, but um, it certainly caused problems as um, uh, Wimbledon goalkeeper saved it, but it, uh, it went a bit up in the air. John Barnes looked like he could have followed it up, tapped it in, but then they made like a goal line scrap clearance the ball was flying in the air. Uh, no one could really tell what was going on, especially from the stands, until uh, Vinnie Jones just gave it a massive boot into Rosette. But um, that was that was always a sign that uh, Liverpool were always going to be dangerous. The, the threat was never, ever going to leave, even if, um, well, no matter the circumstances, really, Liverpool were always going to be um, capable of scoring the next goal. But um, with... With that opportunity, I think Wimbledon realised that they needed to they needed to really go for it, take the chances. And um in the thirtieth, thirty-seventh minute, um there was a free kick on the on the left hand side and Dennis Wise stood up to took it, to take it, sorry. Um he was a, an extremely good whipper of a cross. Um he was involved in something ridiculous, like seventy five per cent of Wimbledon's goals the entire season. Um obviously some of them he'd have scored. But uh, his his crossing and set piece ability was perfect for the Wimbledon team, because obviously with a target man like John Fashanu and then players like Laurie Sanchez, the eventual scorer of the winner in this game, um, a good crosser like him was exactly what they needed. And um, in this position in the 37th minute, the game was fairly open, so a goal, the, the the team to nick the first goal would have been put in an extremely good position where they would have control of the game. And uh, that's what Wimbledon ended up getting. Uh, Laurie Sanchez just beat all Liverpool heads to the ball and flicked it onto the far post and keeper didn't really stand much of a chance. It was a brilliant header, really, really powerful and um, put Wimbledon fairly deservedly into the lead. So after that Laurie Sanchez goal, um, it was the 37th minute and Wimbledon's main aim would probably have been to get in at half-time uh, at 1-0 up and set out a game plan as to how to deal with keeping this lead that they had because they knew that scoring against Liverpool again uh, may be a bit of a struggle unless they were to catch them on the counter. So, I mean, to, to get in at half-time and and, and and get that message out would have been uh, vital to them holding on to this win. Uh, eventually, they did get in at half-time at 1-0, but not without uh, a little bit of a dodgy moment where um, Alan Hansen played a brilliant one-two with, I can't remember who it was, but um, he made an odd run for him, being a centre-back who was almost always in his own half, to um, to playing a little one-two and running in behind the defence. He got onto the ball and had a he was clean through, essentially, a one-on-one with uh, Dave Besson. And i back... Any other Liverpool player to score in that scenario, but Alan Hansen just he he lacked the the composure and just the natural finishing ability to get it past him in that scenario. Um, if it were anyone else, I do think it would have been one-one. So that was rather unfortunate for Liverpool and a bit of a let-off for Wimbledon. Almost a a, a reminder that just being ahead against being ahead against Liverpool in the first half essentially means nothing unless you're willing to put in 100% effort for the rest of the game. Um, but despite the scare, they did make it in at half-time at 1-0. Now, I'd imagine at half-time, a lot of what was being said was keep things the same, but maybe put in a little bit, that last bit of energy, just to, to, to do that a little bit more than the opposition. Because both teams have put out a good account of themselves it was a well tightly contested game uh, both teams probably thought there was room for improvement but nothing so far had gone completely wrong like liverpool would have still felt they were in the game 100% and um, who can blame them they were one of the best teams in the world and um, wimbledon obviously they were ahead and they were not an easy team to just come back against um so both teams entered the second half fairly similarly as they did ending the first Um, uh, not not too many huge chances in the first 10 minutes of the second half but um, around the 60th minute um, John Aldridge picked up the ball around 25 yards from goal in about the centre of the pitch and played a nice little one-two with Peter Beardsley which created a bit of space that John Aldridge ran into eventually running into the box and was taken down now from a camera's view it's pretty obviously not a penalty, but obviously the referee wouldn't have known that, and a penalty was given. This gave Liverpool a chance, a huge chance, to get back into the game and make it 1-1 against this Wimbledon side. They could not have asked for a better opportunity and uh, stepped John Aldridge, the winner of the penalty, um, usually pretty reliable from the spot. Um, he obviously scored a penalty against Nottingham Forest to put them ahead, which I tried to uh, signal quite clearly that he went to the right-hand side of the goal. So the uh, the, go- the goalkeeper, Dave Besant, made it quite clear uh, before the game to certain people that if there were to be a penalty, he would go to the right-hand side of the goal, uh, knowing John Aldridge's pattern. Um, and... He, he ended up doing so. So it all went down to uh, to which way was John Aldridge going to shoot. And in the end, he put it to the right-hand side and it was saved by Dave Besant. Um, now, to put it into context, that is the first ever FA Cup final penalty to not go in, whether it was saved or whether it completely missed the target. So that is FA Cup history right there. Um, first ever penalty penalty to not go in and um, obviously this kept things at 1-0 to Wimbledon and was an extremely significant part to the game seeing as after that the tide definitely switched more from anyone could win this to Wimbledon was certainly in the driving seat because you don't get a better opportunity than a penalty against Wimbledon to to, to pull it back Um, so for them to miss that it felt like maybe this wasn't going to be Liverpool's day and um Wimbledon were just gonna do what Wimbledon do, see it out, and eventually look like they were going to win the FA Cup. Of course, to say a statement like that so early on was uh would well would have been pretty ridiculous given the talent that Liverpool had and um their ability to just score a goal out of nothing. But at the same time, um around 10 minutes after the penalty, Um, so around the 70th minute, Dennis Wise put in a brilliant little cross to John Fashion, who got a little flick on, who just about glazed it over the bar. Um, And that that, that was another signal that Wimbledon are going to carry on being Wimbledon. And uh, it's going to be just as difficult and time is running out. And the co-commentator said with John Watson, he said he wouldn't put any money on Liverpool coming back into this which you don't often hear about a Liverpool side, given that they almost always have that, that one thing left in them. But they just weren't showing it. Obviously, everybody knew it was still there, but they just weren't showing it. And that kind of carried on until the final whistle. Um, towards the end, they were having their, their main chances were coming from long throw-ins and they, they were getting players like Steve Nichol forward who, who who put a, a, another header just over the bar. It was very, very slightly over the bar, but uh, Dave Besson may have had it covered. You never know. But to show that such a fluent attacking side in Liverpool were getting their main chances off long throw-ins shows the way that L- Wimbledon coped with this Liverpool side and how they really neutralised the threat. Obviously, it was still there to an extent, but given that this Liverpool team had, smash teams all season and uh, were coming into this huge favorites they looked a shell of the side that, that that they came into it thinking they were just by um essentially being shown up by this Wimbledon side who were willing to work hard as a team and show show them how real football was played um in a rather <laughs> closed mind, closed-minded point of view And um, after that Steve Nichol chance, um, Liverpool didn't create anything of note at all, really. Um, The only notable opportunity of the game before the end of it was the ball fell to Eric Young on the edge of the Liverpool box and uh, he just smashed it and it was flying right right into the top left-hand corner. If it weren't for a pretty brilliant stop by Bruce Grobeli, it would have been 2-0. Um, and that, that was another moment where you thought, wow, this, this Wimbledon side are still fighting. They, they really are deserving of this FA Cup trophy if they are to hold out, which, uh, which they eventually did. The final whistle was blown. And one of the greatest underdog um, FA Cup upsets had just happened. Wimbledon had just won the FA Cup final for the first time ever against one of the best teams in the world at the time. Um, and that's only credit to every single player in the side. Um, there, was, there wasn't there was really an element of luck in it at all. It was just Wimbledon fought till the last very second of pretty much every game they played in that season. And they got an FA Cup trophy out of it, which was completely deserved. Um, the final whistle was greatly celebrated by everyone, to be honest. Neutrals, obviously Wimbledon fans, and even like I mentioned earlier, the Liverpool fans were still chanting "You'll Never Walk Alone." Um, in not not necessarily in celebration, but um, with respect to this this Wimbledon team who'd shocked pretty much everyone and won an FA Cup. And um, the the end of the game was was signaled by a John Watson quote, which sticks in the mind of anyone watching and it was um, the crazy gang of beaten the Culture Club, which um, well sums up um, essentially everything about this final, the expectations of it, um, how they went on to prove everyone wrong, maybe the unorthodox style of play um, that eventually would help them with uh, with, with winning the, such a huge, huge trophy. Um, nowadays... Football fans may not understand how big the FA Cup truly is. It is the biggest domestic cup competition in Europe, fairly comfortably. And for Wimbledon to win it meant the world to their, their, their club, their players, the fan base, anything, anyone involved, ask them and it'll probably be their greatest achievement. Now, I truly hope that I've done justice to that um, story, essentially, because it is such an incredible um, set of events which led to one of the greatest achievements in English sporting history. Um, I'd imagine that there are going to be people out there who who, who were there, who remember it, who would be able to articulate it better than me. But I do feel passionately about stories like this. So I hope that if you have managed to make it uh, this far into the episode, which I hugely appreciate by the way, um, it, it means a lot to me that you' you're willing to listen to me, whether it's to hear about this for the first time, to educate yourself on it more or whether you just um, I don't know wanna want look back and admire what football used to be like like I do when I research these things it it, it makes me extremely interested. And uh, I'd love to do it more. If uh, if people do listen into these and take something away from them, oh, that that would mean absolutely everything because it would give me more motivation to go out and do more research and do more podcasts like this. So I mean, if you want to get in touch, um, maybe recommend topics for me to speak upon. Uh, that would be great. Uh, I've I've set up an Instagram account for the podcast. Um, the the at is in the the podcast uh bio type thing the description basically so if you'd like to recommend something to me um please please do and message me over there um and overall i think i've covered everything uh if again if you've made it this far i hugely appreciate it it means the world to me um and i hope to do something similar to this again Thank you for listening and um, hope you enjoyed.